FIRE is an acronym. It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the, the way that you achieve this is to... Thank you for tuning in to the Essential Podcast. This is Tommy Barco with Barco Financial, and we're going to talk to you today a little bit about the FIRE movement. Not sure if you've heard of that, but it's gaining a lot of interest and traction. It's been around for a while. We're going to tell you what it is, what we think about it, pros and cons, if it's right for you, if there's risks involved, if it's realistic, all those things. All of your questions will be answered, and this is, for those of you that don't know, this concept of being able to retire extremely early and live well and fulfilling purposeful lives without work. People are doing this in their 20s and their 30s even, and people have goals of retiring even before 50 these days. So all that falls in this category, and we're going to talk about it. Matt, how much do you know about the FIRE movement? Only what you've told me briefly. I can tell you that, (laughs) interestingly enough, my mentor in college, who Harvard MBA, all all that good stuff, she actually had a mentee that retired in his 30s, and I have no idea what's going on with him now, but went and bought a boat uh, and lived off his investments at age like 33, I think he retired and saved. So, And he was only living on uh, maybe $20,000 a year, and so just taking dividends. So now, I have no idea what the outcome is, but I don't think this is necessarily something new, but I think it's something that's probably catching fire. Yeah. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. And there is a culture around this movement. So FIRE is an acronym. It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the, the way that you achieve this is to save and invest very aggressively and eliminate outflow expenses, right? So this, again, like you said, is not new. It's it's uh, outflow decreases and investing and saving increases, you know, lifestyle inflation and all these things go down in your, in, in these world, in these people's worlds. But the higher the income is and the lower the expenses are, the faster you can get there. But this culture is not necessarily teeing this lifestyle of sitting on the beach somewhere forever or playing golf all the time as the goal. Like it's about scaling back activity for dollars. So we talk about it with work optional lifestyle, right? When people do reach retirement age, they aren't necessarily sailing off into the sunset. They're continuing to work or they're contributing to something, but it's not a requirement for income. So I can appreciate that about this concept. And I can appreciate that it gets people to begin thinking about what their options are and not just taking at face value that, oh, I've got to work my whole life. I mean, you can tweak and plan and make changes now, and that can impact your future in a positive way. But the goal here can only be achieved usually if you're very, very aggressive, and you have to have some other favorable things going on from what I have seen in your life to kind of set you up in a place to do this. And then there are all kinds of questions about the sustainability of this over a long period of time. So we're going to talk about it a little more answer some specific questions about it, and ultimately help everybody listening learn what they can from the FIRE movement, not only whether it's something that is realistic, but what things we can glean from the focus and intensity of how these people are thinking and what their dreams are and 
apply them to our own well, lives. I think this ties in, in whether or not you are able to retire early, I think it ties into our podcast at the first of the year, which was control your spending, what you can control. So I think mm-hmm. much like a lot of things that come out, whether it's diet, exercise, whatever, there's probably pieces that we can take from it. But Tommy, so what are the, are there any minimums, like how much are you trying to save up or what's your daily, uh, you know, what's your annual amount that you should be spending? Is there anything like that that goes along with this? Any hard and fast numbers? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, like the goal is to save and invest very aggressively. And what that means is usually somewhere between 50 and 75% of their income they're putting away. All right, so that's very substantial amount of income to be put into investments. And then, of course, you've got to have time for volatility. And that's one Achilles, I guess, if you will, for this in the last decade is, you know, we've been in a unparalleled, somewhat unprecedented bull market, right? There's no major financial crises, recessions. You know, there have been corrections and some volatility but we've been in recovery mode here now for mm-hmm. quite some time. And so that takes some of the long-term perspective away because a lot of people with some experience here have only been investing when things have been mostly good, right? We've had a we've had a pretty good run and the further you zoom out, you know, you can start including periods of rough seas, but then, you know, zoom out even further and all this can average itself out. But accumulating wealth by investing over long periods of time and you know you shorten that by increasing the amount of money right that is different than using wealth to provide income you know to distribute wealth to back to yourself and make it last so now you're talking about longevity risks and sequence of returns risks and things besides the market risk whereas you know that's been the only consideration is how can we invest this and grow it and we can invest a ton of money and shortcut this process. So the million dollar, you know, mark is still something that comes up in conversation, you know, saving that amount of money. The average millionaire, though, saved and invested for an average of 28 years. So they're trying to do something in maybe 10, yeah, 15 really years. Yeah, the timeline. Yeah. You know, a lot of everyday millionaires, is from like Chris Hogan's book, if you've heard of that or read it, you know, most of them never even made six figures in a single year. So it was just behavior and discipline and time. And there's really nothing wrong with that plan. You know, you can take what we talk about with essentialism and being intentional and really have the best of both worlds, right? You can save, plan, be intentional. But I think a lot of this comes from, and I haven't read this, Matt, but this is just my thought, is we've looked at some of the old older generations, these younger generations have looked at some of the older generations and they've saw where they worked, you know, for a long time and maybe they overworked for a long time and then they retired quote unquote and didn't have enough or died shortly thereafter or became ill. And, you know, there was a small window of time in which they got to quote live Mm -hmm. and enjoy it. Right. And so I think it's this kind of revolt against that normal to, you know, begin experiencing things sooner. And I think there's good and value in that. But I think maybe this has taken it to the other extreme and has some some things that are, are risky. And, you know, I think it would be more disappointing for me to 
have this as a plan and it not work and me have to start over in 15 years after I quote retire, you know, because I ran out of money or something like that. So, but if you can reduce your risk, you know, one key with this is obviously no debt, minimize your lifestyle expenses, stop keeping up with the Joneses. All these are valuable things mm-hmm. that we talk about that are costing people from just planning for a regular normal retirement. So there's, there's good to take. Yeah, I think it's well. a, I think it's really a balance of both of it. But so knowing what you know about it, Tommy, who's kind of the perfect ideal candidate for actually doing this and being successful? Because I've, I have a place I used to work at. I mean, there was a, a gentleman there who mm-hmm. had retired down in Key West. And he was there until mm-hmm. he ran out of money. And then he went back to work. Yep. And I think he was 55 when he retired. We're not talking about in their in their 40s. So yeah. uh, it obviously was not very fun <laughs> for him because he was not uh, right. excited about that, obviously. I wouldn't be either. So who would be the ideal mm-hmm. candidate here if you wanted to accomplish this? Yeah. So I am certainly no expert on the movement. I am f- like familiar with it from the fringes. So I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, but I equate this to be a lot like the person that you overhear at dinner or the family member that like got rich off of buying a stock that you had never heard of, you know. They like made tons of money in the market. You know, for every one person that bought a stock and made a lot of money off of it, there are thousands that did the same thing and lost it all or lost a tremendous amount of it. So I think it's the same for this. There are definitely some valuable applications that we've already kind of mentioned, but the people that you see being successful doing this may have had other circumstances that you don't. And so the candidates here obviously are going to be younger people, but we kind of take and roll this forward to people wanting to retire before 50 or at 52 because there's a risk there. Kind of you mentioned the guy at mm-hmm. Key West. The younger, the better, right? And you've got to live well below your means, and that's spend far less than your peers and take all of that extra cash to pay off debt. If you can avoid it to start with, that's great, and invest everything. And the second key is you've got to invest very enthusiastically, and the focus is exclusively on building net worth, appreciating the value. So you got to start as early, pile as much up and do it as often as you can and keep it going. And then a third and probably most important factor here is they, quote, retired with purpose. And that's our work optional statement there. They were motivated to do something else with their lives. They didn't want the nine to five or whatever source of income they had. And they wanted to, you know, answer a calling or realize a dream. And there was a reason that they were able to stay engaged because, human beings are just not meant to be idle for life. And we talked about that on three keys to finding your purpose, right? You shouldn't just view this as an opportunity to do nothing. It's going to lead to frustration, boredom. So I'd say the candidates are people that can keep those three things crystal clear in mind, can be committed early on to live well below their means, invest very enthusiastically to build their net worth and have a plan, you know, to retire with purpose. And those are the same things that you should do to retire traditionally. But we're really trying to shortcut this, fast track this by investing significant amounts of money early on. Mm -hmm. Well, and 
So let's now talk about, uh, you know, we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but let's talk the risks. What, uh, what are the things that are obvious? What are the things that are maybe not so obvious? It's a good point to bring up because, you know, a lot of the success, besides just doing those things that we just talked about, which can lead to the success, there have been other favorable situations that may be out of your control. Like, you know, you had a career in a hot industry and just really cleaned up or they sold a company. You know, they see this a lot in Silicon Valley and stuff going on with investments. So right place, right time can lead to this. And, you know, people are like, hey, I'm retired and I'm awesome. But they had a situation present itself to them that everybody else would never have. Uh, most of them that are able to have achieved this are either single or if they are married, they don't have kids. Household spending increases dramatically mm-hmm. when you have children, and it's very difficult to be extremely frugal today thinking about prosperity tomorrow when you have people that are relying on you for life. It's not saying it's not possible, but that's another key component. And then lastly, it would be people that are in good health. Most people get insurance through their employer. Health insurance is expensive. And then having any problems with your health can be very, very costly. Injuries and mm, stuff that, like that. That appendix uh, without the insurance was <laughs> 17000 for me. I mean, that can make or break a plan, right? So those are just some things to consider. Like They're not really risks, but those are things that are a little bit out of your control or maybe completely out of your control that have led other people to see success there. And then I guess the other kind of main financial risk is they're commonly using the 4% rule. And that is that you can draw 4% of the investments over a long period of time and not worry about the longevity risk or the sequence of returns risk. And that's something we talked about earlier. And I'll explain what those two are. But if you've got 25% of your earnings saved up and you can use 4% to draw that down, then the thought process is that it will last. But the risks there are how you maintain the the principal. You know, usually they're investing. You have to begin to provide flexibility in your spending. So you could, if you're if you had a million dollars and you're going to live on forty thousand dollars a year, that'd be the four percent rule. But something dramatic happens either in your life or with the investment. You have to have the flexibility to be able to spend less. You know, so, hey, I can't spend 40000 this year or maybe even next because the market went crazy. 2008 happened, just sequence of returns risk. They would have to have that flexibility to say, I'm going to go back to work part-time or I'm going to spend $20,000. So that's a risk that a lot of people don't consider because it's not as glamorous. And there are all kinds of studies, which we'd be happy to share with you, that show people retiring within even a year of each other. And they invested the same way and took out the same amount of money And when you fast forward 10 years later, somebody's doubled their money and the other person's ran out. That's called sequence of returns risk. And that's part of what necessitates the 4% rule to start with because they're trying to keep you from digging into the principal too much. But there's a big, big risk there. And it's one that, again, is out of your control and a lot of people don't consider because you have to have time for the markets to cycle, the investments to cycle, and recovery is not as easy if money's coming out and not going in. And sometimes it's not even possible. Well, it's funny you say the word time. I, th- I To me, that would be potentially one of the biggest risks. Um, and that's something that, you know, you talk about with your clients, Tommy, is you know, you're going to be in retirement potentially for 30, maybe all the way up to 50 years, depending on 
family history and everything else. There's more 100-year-olds living today, or centenarians as they're called, than there ever have been. So you take somebody who retired at 40, doesn't have a stress-free life, that's 60 years in retirement. That's a long, long time to be able to keep, essentially, your investments going. You know, it's funny, they're sacrificing everything up front to make this happen, but you may end up sacrificing everything on the back end in the later years in your life to where you're just eating, you know, ramen noodles and adding ketchup packets from <laughs> McDonald's. So I think, yeah, because yeah, because you, you, you have to. Yeah, that's your only choice. You can't work, can't earn income, your health won't allow it or your age won't allow it, or you're, you don't have a skill set that's relevant anymore because you haven't worked for a long period of time. Part of that's longevity risk that I've mentioned, you know, what you just described, which is even if you plan to live to 100, maybe you live longer than, maybe we all live longer than that. You know, they cure cancer tomorrow and mortality rates just go up Uh, or the uh, life expectancy goes up, I should say. Mortality rates go down. And then you've got any kind of black swan event, disaster scenario with, you know, not just life, but with the investments, inflationary risks where inflation goes crazy. I mean, the, the new normal now globally are these zero or negative interest rates. The U.S. is one of few developed countries that has positive interest rates right now. And, I mean, it's just uh, unprecedented to some extent. And, you know, how does that play itself out? Uh, It's just all all kinds of things like that that, you know, again, you can't worry about that. That could impact all of us. You can't worry about that exclusively, but it is a risk and something to consider. Yeah, I I think I'm going to get your final thoughts. I'll give you mine really quick, and then we'll wrap it up. But I I think call it the FI movement or the RE movement or something like that. I think you do, if you're really gung-ho about this, I think you do about half of it maybe, scrap and save, and then at 40, move to maybe a part-time job. So you still have income, and if you want to quit, you can quit. Or you want to, so it's kind of a balance between, okay, what's the standard, what's what's the extreme on both ends, is saving forever and never quitting work, or saving as much as you can. And so I think there's, you find the middle, the middle ground there if you do want to retire early. But again, like you said, it kind of comes back to purposes. Find the part-time job that you get paid not as much, but you don't need it necessarily. It's just helping supplement income along the way. I'm not one to stand back and shoot at the 4% rule. It is something that came out, I don't know, a couple of decades ago now that has just kind of been written down as gospel. But And there are just people that don't consider all the trade-offs and risks with that. I think there's different approaches to spending. So, I mean, you could say, hey, this is a motivating topic. And like I said, I think that's good. Get you to dream, get you to plan, get you to take action, right? The things you can control. And whether you hit that 10-year mark of being able to retire early and have financial independence or it's 20 years instead of 10, I mean, those are still good behaviors and things that you need to do. But I think you could make this plan, be really aggressive in saving and investing. And in 10 years, if, you're, if your nest egg is where it looks like it could sustain an income that would be respectable and reasonable for you, then instead of it just being kind of this set on cruise control 4% rule, I think you use a guardrail approach to spending, which is you set kind of a floor and a ceiling. And this is where a professional could help you like what we do. But then you're looking for risks to the portfolio. If it goes above the guardrail, you can get a raise. If it goes below the guardrail, you have to reduce your income and you have to be able to do so, be flexible with that. I think you just got to be flexible, open to change and you know, hey, this is a great goal, but it 
as with a lot of things that are valuable, is a moving target. So, But it, it's getting a lot of buzz. I, I suspect that most people have heard of it. And like you said, it's not really new, if you will. Just some of the parameters and culture around it have really cemented together and, and made it made it more of a movement than just an idea. And kudos, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool, cool aspiration. So we don't want to eat. We eat the meat and spit out the bone, as you alluded to earlier. Yep. There's there are a lot of good here and some things to tiptoe around and be concerned I'd be with. happy with age 50, Tommy. That'd be good for me. Yeah. Hey, that's a nice middle ground. Instead of 20s and 30s or 70s, I'll split the difference and go go 50. So I think that would be a great goal and could be realistic as well. So it's been fun to talk about. We've got some resources available that we'd be happy to send out to just kind of talk through this and give a little more detail that we did not go into today. We try to keep it essential on the podcast. So if you'd like more, feel free to reach out. You can call us, email us, get in touch with us, whatever way you'd like. And you can also find us and hit us up on Facebook. You just go to facebook.com slash barcofinancial or barcofinancial.com. So thanks for listening in. And until next time, keep it essential. Thanks for sticking around after the music. We just have a quick disclosure for you. Securities are offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management, Inc., and advisory services are offered through S.A. Stone Investment Advisors, Inc.